0: and it, next to each other, and it was like, these two trucks have the same bed length. <laughs> it was like, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen that. You know when you see that? I've never, that, never seen it. That is a rich, uh,
1: you might be a redneck kind of thing. <laughs> it's, it's either your cheap it's car. or trashy. Yeah, yeah or yeah, yeah. it's you have enough money, you're like, no, no, <laughs> I'm choosing this, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, Lucas says, nostalgia drives classic car purchases. Do you think younger generations will be less nostalgic for the past being that their young lives are so much better documented than ours. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Smoke and Tire Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Off The Record. We love Off The Record. I've used them a bunch, and I hear from you guys all the time that you're using Off The Record. What Off The Record does, man, it's a valuable service to the community. They help keep your license squeaky-ass clean. It's excellent. If you get pulled over, what you need to do is use Off the Record. Do not plead guilty. Do not just send that ticket in because you think that will solve the problem and you can move on with your life. You know why? You can't move on with your life. It will follow you around. Fines and fees, insurance premium increases, you name it. Instead, OffTheRecord.com slash TST or download the Off the Record app and use code TST. 10, what Off The Record will do is fight that ticket for you. They've got an amazing success rate. They cover almost every driver in the United States, and they do their jobs impeccably. They will connect you with an attorney in the jurisdiction where you got the ticket who will fight that ticket on your behalf and get those points off of your record. It's a very affordable service, especially compared to the costs of those tickets, the upfront costs and the hidden costs. And I hear from you guys, like I said, all the time that you use Off The Record to get out of these bullshit tickets. So go to offtherecord.com TST or download the Off The Record app and use code TST10 for 10% off all legal services from Off The Record. Then if you get pulled over, all you do, send a photo or a scan of the ticket to Off The Record and they handle the rest. It's so easy. So many times I've used them. And like forgotten about the ticket because I just never hear from them again. And then I'll call them later and they're like, oh, yeah, that's just gone. It's gone forever. It's handled. It's so money. OffTheRecord.com slash TST or code TST10 on the Off The Record app. All right, folks, on this episode of the podcast I review the Aston Martin DB12. We talk about Mercedes possibly going yoke in the S-Class? Say it ain't so, and why we're not so excited about drive-by-wire steering. We do a bit of housekeeping in terms of why the ads are the way they are and how we need to uh, proceed forward with the logistics of this show. We also talk about the craziness of uh, Joey Diaz in his new book Tremendous! A little bit of uh, uh, word adjustment regarding the Audi uh, Q8 e-tron I drove recently, and we've got a whole bunch of great questions from the Patreon. It is a crew show. Welcome to the Smoke and Tire Podcast. I have like ten pages left in this notebook. Nice. I started the note this notebook on April eighth, twenty twenty one. Which one are you going with next? I have I have like eight more of these, of oh, I the blue I, okay. ones. I might I might ch- I might go with a different one though. Oh, change one? it up. I might go with the press. Might launch go with the book? press launch book. I don't know. Aston Martin threw a pretty nice one in the uh, in the old swag bag. I've been using the Hyundai Santa
1: Cruz one because it has pretty, a pen holder. Ooh, that's nice. And it's thick leather. I a really pen, like it. Pen holder's good. I lose
0: all my pens. Yeah. I, don't, I have slots in my backpack. They're still gone. I actually got a pen holder that goes around the. That like straps to the outside of this, mm-hmm. but then it doesn't lay flat. It like sits up like that, right? And you can't slide it in next to your laptop, and right? Stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. No, it's there's not there's no no perfect solution. I don't I don't think. It's but funny the, the one that's on the spine, that's probably pretty good.
1: The uh, the Hyundai Santa Cruz has like, you know, an equal amount of storage, on their notebook <laughs> as it does in the bed, <laughs> the bed, of, the bed truck. of the truck. <laughs> the bed I a saw. It, I
0: mean, I, it's you know, it's obviously sort of like bullshitty but and i don't like memes but i saw a very funny meme that was like it showed like a honda acti pickup truck mm-hmm. and like a giant fucking trx ram and it next to each other and it was like these two trucks have the same bed length <laughs> was, oh my god that's incredible it's actually pretty funny <laughs> what's what is the trx is five foot six I'd foot? probably five I, mean, I wow. didn't I didn't like sit there and fact check no, the no, mean you're not. Um, and do the, and the Acti is probably a little narrower than the TRx is but like yeah it's probably pretty close like in terms of like actual hauling capacity it's probably pretty close
1: uh five five foot six five foot seven
0: yeah so what is the 67 what is, inches what is a Honda Acti bed? It's going to be, like, in millimeters. They're not going to have a fucking U.S. Metro, US number for that.
1: Uh, six foot four. They're <laughs> the same. <laughs>
0: yeah, <with that. laughs> wow. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. It's the mini truck. That's it is. so funny. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, I only have a couple friends who, like, now my the sample size of Matt's friends does not really intersect with, like, people who really need trucks. Yeah. But I have a couple very utilitarian friends. A mm-hmm. couple. One of whom drives a fucking Acti as his truck. It's got the it's got like the lift back, fucking it's on like JDM little wheels. It's a three cylinder. What's he use it for? He um he has like uh like four or five Airbnbs in Palm Springs, and that's just like his maintenance, hmm. furniture moving, gardening, like. I mean, he's not towing a fucking, you right. know, he's not towing a race car with it, but like he throws shit in the bed and moves furniture with it like all the time.
1: If all you have to do is carry lightweight things, like yeah. gardeners and, and pool cleaners all use the same yeah. two wheel drive small Toyota pickup truck. Yeah. And it lasts forever. Yeah. And like the, the Maverick will be the same thing.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, hi, everybody. Cruise show today. Uh, this is, I think. Not no. We have one more show recording tomorrow before uh, we leave for our uh, UK podcasting road trip. Uh, if you happen to be listening to us in England, which is a decent possibility, that's our second most popular country. Mm-hmm. We're going to be at Goodwood Festival of Speed. We're going to be doing live podcasts at the Lotus. Uh, Stage, I guess it is on Friday and Saturday. Uh, we've got the Kaiser, mm-hmm. who is a uh, a guy who started out, I, I guess, doing like almost like video game car renderings, and then uh, and then has actually built some real cars out of it. Um, and yeah, he designed some body kits and he's things. He's a great follow on Instagram. Holy fuck, he's got nine hundred ninety thousand followers on Instagram. Damn. Uh, great, uh, great fucking car designer. That'll be really interesting. And then we've got Jensen Button. JB is going to be on the show. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if he put it on his Instagram. He sent me the pictures. Did you see JB's singer? Did I send it to you? Mm. JB's singer, Cassis Red. No way. Yeah. Oh, you told me about that. He, he got it. Cass- he, he was like, he was like, mate, you're not going to believe what color I got my singer. And not only did he get Cassis Red. <laughs> He got inconsistent. Every British red. person you do in of it. <laughs> it's the same It's all magnets. It's all magnets. It's all the same. They're all magnets. That's funny. Uh, asymmetric seats. He got the bucket driver's seat yeah. and the comfort passenger seat. Cool. Which is a fucking G movie. Yeah, it's smart. <laughs> That's pretty G. That's really cool. Yeah.
1: I've never, <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that. You know when you see that? I've never that, seen it. That is a rich, uh, you might be a redneck kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's either your cheap car. It's classy, classy car. or trashy. Yeah, yeah or yeah, yeah. it's you have enough
0: money. You're like, no, no, <laughs> I'm choosing this. Yeah. yeah. So uh, JB will be on the show. And then uh, we're going to be doing Sunday the 16th in the evening at Caffeine and Machine outside of uh, Stratford upon Avon, and Caffeine, you you won't you don't need any special tickets if you're at the Goodwood thing. If you're if you're in Goodwood, just come. Um, if you're going to be at, if you want to come to Caffeine and Machine Sunday, July sixteenth, you will need to buy a ticket, and you will get be get you'll get it on the Caffeine and Machine website. I don't know if the link is up just yet, but I talked to them yesterday. And they will, um, the, uh, what do you, where, where do you go? Go, go to yard tickets. It's going to be in the yard tickets section and it will say, you know, live podcast smoking tire, all of the money. We're selling tickets. This a hundred percent of the money will be going to charity. Um, they have a mental health charity with kind of a funny name. It's like, I love you, man. It's or the same the, the thing that the I love that's the I love you man is the series sh- series that they do, and it's like a live podcast, but it's not recorded. It's just a live chat, and they, um, they give all of the charity. Uh, it's something about like living not miserably or something like that. Uh, I I can't remember the exact name of it of the of the charity they do, but it's something about uh, mental health and not being miserable and and whatnot. Um, and uh, so we're gonna we're doing the show there. Is, do you
1: fun. know, because um, you've been speaking to Phil, our podcast show tickets included if you get an evening yard show.
0: Believe pass? so. Okay. Yes, I believe so. Cool. And I think if you I think if you show up like before a certain time, you don't need a ticket. I don't, I don't really know exactly how it works, but if you buy an evening yard ticket for Sunday the 16th, that counts. Got it. Uh, and there may be some additional podcast tickets for that uh, event as well. There's going to be about 200 tickets you could buy total. And obviously, if you're coming, please bring your cool car if yeah. you happen to have one. And if you don't have one, that's okay, too. There will be cool cars there. Yeah. Uh speaking of classy and trashy, the the most recent Are You Garbage episode, it was it's really funny sometimes like how uh Little certain people know about cars, and I just like when he, I listen. The podcasts I listen to are not car podcasts. I listen to history podcasts and comedy podcasts, and and you know Segura obviously is a huge car enthusiast and mm-hmm. knows a lot about cars. Uh, Rogan knows a bunch about cars. Like, there's people who know a bunch about cars. There's in, but the AYG guys, even though there's a lot of chat about cars and driving and stuff like that, it's funny like. The things that they didn't know, like someone brought up like a Miata and they were talking about when the Miata came out, how it was like cool for like a week and then instantly became <laughs> not cool. And then and they were totally shocked to find out that you could buy a brand new Miata right. now. Really? Yeah. They didn't even know. They're like, oh, no, you can't. <laughs> like they're, they're like, how much does a Miata cost? And their producer, Toby, was like, a new one? and they're like new one <laughs> what do you mean can't get a can't get a new one he's like no you can not it's like 30 grand and like what do you mean they like they didn't under- they couldn't <laughs> comprehend he's like they like they killed it and brought it back right like they hasn't been going this whole time <laughs> right and like these are people they're out on the street like presumably they've seen a fucking miata
1: you know so well i guess i mean uh kevin lives in new york city right yeah so I don't know how often you'd see a, there a new Miata there. They're fucking road
0: comics. They're 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 touring true. In the whole country. True. Mm-hmm. Even if you lived in New York City, you'd see, in a, once a decade. You don't think you'd see. A I don't Miata. know. I don't know. I don't I know. It's just it's, it's, it was, uh, it's surprising for it's sure. It's a hilarious bit of five minute five minute bit of radio where these guys realize that not only can you still buy a Miata, but that they've been making them this whole time. True. It's pretty. It realizes like. Just how niche within a niche we can be. Oh, yeah, we are. <laughs> like, there's we're talking about, like, some pretty niche shit, but then there's, like, a couple levels before you get to they still make the Miata. That's, like—
1: Yeah, well, we're, like, we know the chassis designation, and they don't even know it
0: exists. I really liked the new AYG. It's very funny. We got tickets. We're going to go see them in San Diego on the 27th. Of September. Come see AYG with us. Why are we not going to LA? Because I'll be in Germany. That's why. Uh, right. Oh. Current events, Aston DB12, embargo, worst embargo, second worst embargo ever, uh, July 4th oh, at 4, yeah. 4 p.m. Pacific time. That is a horrible embargo. Horrible for here. Yeah, horrible for it seems like a lot of places too, because I looked at some of the British outlets. Mm-hmm that that posted their shit on the embargo July 5th, midnight England time, their their Instagram posts had, like, no likes, no comments after a couple midnight hours up. It's is a weird yeah, time, midnight even, even if your fan
1: base is in the U.K. I do right. wonder what, like, if you're Henry Catchpole or, or Roy Reed, what percentage of their viewers are in the United States, because their views are tend to be huge. Yeah. So I'm just
0: curious. It's probably a lot. I yeah. mean, I wouldn't be surprised if most of the U.K.-based outlets have – more fans in America than just mm-hmm. the math. More people, yeah. Right. I mean, isn't all of England is like less than California population wise? I think ooh, I, I think question. so. I, I I I think it is. It might be. Um, How I might do just, they I might control so throw, much. Might just be throwing out this uh, sixty-seven um, million. Oh. Uh, so it's probably a little more than California, but yeah, California is forty. Okay, so, so it's it's less than California and Florida. I mean, yeah, yeah you it's, know, it's less than two of our states. So anyway, um, DB12, uh, the video is up. Um, I spent a lot of time filming it, and Zach spent a lot of time editing it. So mm-hmm. please go watch it. Not just that, I, it turned I out think really it's well. really good. I actually think it's it's. Um, I, I, I tried to go for a, a Bourdain vibe. Why is this? Um, sorry. Why t- is this The TV unmutes itself every time I turn stupid it off. Stupid TV. Um, there's – it's – it's I, I shot a lot. Aston also did uh, – gave us a little – little alley-oop there with an excellent B-roll package. Like Shout out to... One of the most comprehensive
1: B-roll packages super I've ever Super comprehensive. comprehensive. Not
0: only that, they didn't just hit the same color, it was the same license plate of the car I really? was in. Really? Oh, they just... Yeah, they put me in the B-roll car, which is that fucking is so ace! so helpful. Suck fucking ace! Shout out to Aston for fucking making that... Little the little things count. The license plates match. It's really good. So, especially because I'm so glad it was there because it would have been really hard for me to get all the drive-bys oh that they God. got um, on those tight and technical French countryside roads. Just big car to be making a lot of U-turns. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like it's getting, well, okay views in the first first couple of hours. Please go watch it, though, because we put a lot of time into these things. It's and good,
1: but it's a it, i mean— well, I have a dog in the fight, but it's a good video and you tell a very good arc and it's a very comprehensive story. And this is a brand new big step for Aston Martin. Because, mm-hmm. man, like I'm such an Aston fan that when I would drive the bad cars, I'd go, am I wrong? Yeah, Is it me? And then you go, no, why is the back wheeling around this corner? Like yeah. that was the DB11 issue. <laughs> yeah. and, and then the button thing. The, set- yeah. the center stack in this. It's very nice. Great. It very looks nice. like you could put it in a Porsche or whatever, and that's yeah. great. You yeah, someone hear that.
0: benchmarked like the Panamera or the Bentley GT. Yeah. Basically, it's got that same kind of high center that they were really known right. for. Uh, know? the, um, the The powertrain is excellent. The, the engine is completely behind the front axle. Yes, it is a, a somewhat of a shared motor. You know, based on Mercedes architecture, they change a lot. He's got a different compression ratio, he's got different turbos, different, different cams. Does that really change how it feels compared to how it feels in a Mercedes? Like, eh, it's subtle. Did, you, um, this makes peak
1: torque at like 3000 RPM, which is a little yeah. higher than Mercedes. Did yeah. you notice that being a
0: thing or I did. feeling it? in did. When you went to launch it. Got to take a quick break from the action, folks, to talk about Black the best dash cams around. I love these Blackview dash cams. Whenever I go on a road trip, I hook this thing up and run it. They've got so many, but the new one we want to talk about is the DR970X 2-channel LTE cam. It makes it easy for you and your vehicle to stay connected anytime, anywhere. The Blackview DR970X two-channel LTE offers superb 4K Ultra HD image quality and easy LTE connectivity with the built-in SIM reader. It's got two cameras, front and rear, and the front camera capturing that detailed 4K Ultra HD footage and the rear camera providing excellent clarity in any lighting conditions. Then, with the free BlackVue app, you get Wi-Fi or cloud connection with impact notifications and live view and those videos download directly to your mobile device. With native parking mode it can be hardwired to your vehicle's fuse panel automatically switching to parking mode when the ignition turns off. And when you combine it with Blackview Cloud Parking mode allows for real-time event video uploads to the cloud, so you're protected in case of break-ins. Additionally, the dashcam functions as a Wi-Fi hotspot for up to five devices, providing internet access on the go. You can experience the best 4K dashcam protection, as well as superior cloud connectivity, with the DR970X 2-channel LTE from Blackview. So... All you got to do is go to blackview.com, that's B-L-A-C-K-V-U-E.com slash T-S-T, to learn more about the DR970X two-channel LTE dash cam. Use code TIRE, promo code T-I-R-E, to get 10% off any Blackview dash cam or parking mode accessory, plus free shipping for orders over 200 bucks. Thank you to Blackview for sponsoring today's show. And now, back to it. Because it's a torque converter and not a dual clutch, there's only so much it lets you brake boost it. And so even when you do a launch it doesn't launch from peak torque mm. it engages and mm-hmm. then and then it comes up a little bit so uh, it's not the it's it's not a, it is it's got a bunch of torque like it but it's not it doesn't have that mercedes like muscle car y shove where it feels like a lot of the amg cars it feel like they make power up top, but it feels like they're designed to like really make a shove at like eighteen hundred RPM. And this doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, it's but it's nice to rev. It's nice to drive. It's it's nice in automatic mode. It's nice in manual mode. The gearbox is very responsive. The suspension reengineering is really really good. Uh, one of the things they've done is they've added a wet mode in the traction in the in the drive modes you've got wet, GT sport and sport plus mm-hmm. before it was just GT sport and sport plus and wet was built into the GT so does that mean that GT was kind of neutered or the GT mode was a bit? super neutered okay. before now the GT Is moved up, and everything else also moves up. Wait, is there comfort, too? No, No, GT GT is comfort. comfort. Yeah, GT is comfort. But but that even is much better than it was before. Cool. The traction control isn't as, like, super, super invasive, even in GT mode. Um, This one had ceramic brakes. The one I drove, none of the cars there had the steel brakes. They all had ceramics. So nobody knows what the steel brakes are like. But the ceramics were great. There's... The the build quality was superb. The 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 fit and finish. These were press cars, so light grain of salt, but still uh, really nice, nicely done. And and I compared in the video. I compared it to the Bentley GT Speed and the Ferrari Eight Twelve. Truth be told, the price is closer to the Ferrari Roma than the Eight Twelve, but it was really that sort of super tourer. Yeah marketing thing that made me roll my eyes like into the back of my fucking head um that's why I use the 812 as the comparison and mm-hmm. not the the, the Roma the a 12, I mean that's what the 812 is
1: a supercar engine but in a right. grand touring layout sort right. of. so that's yeah that's where you're gonna go with
0: that term yeah mm-hmm. it was like the top of the line front engine car mm-hmm. really but dollar for dollar with the Roma I'd probably rather have the Aston Ooh, they both drive beautifully. Funny, yeah, but the as the the haptic shit in the Roma would be like a because that'd be an oh everyday yeah the car. whole interior is really annoying. Yeah, it was terrible. That's so like true. this is much more usable. I'd much rather have this as a daily. How is
1: this steering in this versus the Roma? Roma is light as most Ferraris. Light
0: are. and sh- and re- the really quick steering. Mm-hmm. The the Roma is like really quick steering. This was halfway between that and the Bentley. Oh, it was good. Okay. Yeah, that's good. It's good. Okay, it do, they do not use rear steer. They said they put it in a prototype, and they didn't like how it felt. It felt kind of like slidey, mm-hmm. like Mercedes's yeah. rear steer. And I, I told the the head the head engineer like, yeah, like Mercedes does it badly, and and Porsche does it really well. Mm-hmm. And he said, but there's other things about Porsche that make that that rear steer work as well as it does. The fact that it's like rear engine, it sort of helps. And I mean, even the Cayenne though the turbo gt we drove their rear steer was calibrated really well yeah pretty
1: much invisible yeah and the hummer ev also right i was shocked but yeah. like the i drove
0: that s-class and it felt you could feel the back moving around they You're... said the aston people said it made a difference when you were like making u-turns mm-hmm. but it, for everything but that scenario it handled just fine without it and they didn't want to add the weight and the complexity when there wasn't it it didn't seem like there was a lot of return
1: which mm-hmm. I, I agree with okay, that decision
0: that's fine no no problem no problem for me there yeah and the the new tire you know it's got the new Michelin PSS5 not 5S S5 which is a a real nomenclature fuck up from Michelin i mean why you S. PS4S to PSS5 Oh, it's PSS5 now? Yeah, not oh. 5S. That's weird. Yeah,
1: it's dumb. Did they get sued by PlayStation?
0: I I, have no <laughs> idea. I don't know. Oh, that would be interesting. It's a di- it's a different uh, genre of, of product, so I don't know. But I don't know why don't know. they did it, but it stinks. And I messed it up in the first take in the video, I had to redo it. But uh, the new tire is very nice, tons of grip. You know, I wasn't, like, sliding the thing around, but uh, it was—it uh, had a lot of grip. It felt really nice. It was quiet, rode well. 21s on a sports car. Good. St- and still
1: still rode well. I mean, I feel—I I say good because I feel like we've driven a bunch of cars in the last month that had 22s and 3s. Mm-hmm. I think the S-Class did. Like, the more the more we delve into the luxury or, of course, SUVs, they put the bigger brakes on, but then yeah. they put the bigger wheels on, and then the ride usually suffers. Yeah. So—
0: Uh, But overall, I think, as I said in the video, pretty much the most well-rounded Aston I've driven in a very, very long time. Since, like, the 2016 Vanquish, Mm -hmm. uh, which was a naturally aspirated, but then when they put the 8-speed gearbox, that was very Mm well-rounded. This is the, the best since that. Um,
1: and and I agree with a point you made in the video that the 2015-16 Vanquish had a really pretty uh, center console. center stack, yeah. And it was a nice mix of, like, buttons that look
0: capacitive and mm-hmm. knobs and stuff. And then after that, it fell apart. Yeah. So please go watch the video. It is up on the channel right now. And I think I told a nice little story uh, about the Aston and, and driving it around the south of France. And so there's that. Also uh, – What else happened? Oh, fuck me. Um, I think I feel the need to address the change that we made because I've gotten a couple very angry letters from people. And granted, it's not a huge percentage of people. But I I think people don't understand why we switched to mid-roll ads on this podcast. Mm, Oh, okay. For 12 years – (laughs) <laughs> the first 12 years of the show, I made a decision to put the ads up front, and I did that for a very obvious reason, so they'd be easy to skip. So all it was a, it was a charity piece to all of you guys. My thought process was we're, we're being paid to put these here. We'll put them here, but we're going to make it easy for the audience if they want to skip them. Great. Slowly over time almost all the other podcasts, not almost, all the other podcasts that I listened to went from up front to Mm mid-roll. Which I believe was driven by advertisers that know that people
1: were skipping the first seven minutes of
0: the show. It was a combination of people who would go in the YouTube comments and post the start time, Mm -hmm. who uh, I must have banned 500 of those people from commenting. They they, people didn't get the hint. They kept doing it. But also, advertisers have detailed analytical tools now, which is how we get ads in the first place. We have to enter our feed into this system, which uh, our ad sales do for us. It's a hands-off thing, and they know not just how many people download the show, but what they skip, what they listen to, which parts of the show are listened to, and which parts are skipped. And fucking shocker, they realized that people were skipping the whole ad blocks. Mm-hmm. Well. Like three months ago, all of our advertisers left. All of them. 100% of the ads were canceled because of this specific thing. So if there's no ads, there's no show. I, I hope people understand that. Like we enjoy our work, but like it's work. Mm-hmm. It, it needs – you. you it, if you deliver something for free, there needs to be ads. That's how – that's what the social contract is of modern media. And – we, we tried as long as we could to make it the ads something that were, you know, up front and as easily, you know, and, and, there were, and, and, and we did it as long as that would, would uh, sustain itself, but it sustained itself no longer. So they, our ad salespeople came back and said, look, the only way these advertisers are going to come back is if you do mid-roll. That's it. No ads and you have a hobby – or ads mid-roll and, and you can have a job. And so we said, okay. It wasn't like, hey, Matt, you can get 10% more money if you do mid-roll. It wasn't like, hey, Matt, you can get 50% more money. It was you can have a career or you can have not a hobby. That was the choice. So that's why we did it. We waited until the very last minute until literally everyone left. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's, you know, it's like breaking embargo. We're not going to be the first person to break an embargo, but if everyone else breaks the embargo, we're not going to be the last people either. Mm-hmm. And so, whether it's Se- not Rogan, because Rogan has his Spotify thing now. But, but Spotify
1: drops them in the middle. Spotify
0: drops them in the and middle. If you
1: skip them uh, and then try to rewind to the part you missed, they're very clever. They it make will you then listening. drop you back into a new ad.
0: Right. That's, yeah. that's the Hulu. Hulu does that too. Oh. Um, Segura, the dollop. AYG, Spike, I mean literally every podcast I listen to does mid-roll. So if people uh, – and again, I, the majority of people understand this, but uh, I've gotten just enough emails from people that have just enough vitriol in them. People are fucking angry that, we, that we're doing this. And, like, you need to understand, like, we only do stuff like that. Same thing with, like, multiple ads on on YouTube, Mm -hmm. you know? Or it's like we didn't didn't choose to do that system. Like, that system decided, the software said, we're going to give you less money per ad, Mm -hmm. but you can now place five ads throughout the video— and like we weren't the first people to do it, it wasn't until we were like, hey, uh, fucking Freddie and uh, VinWiki and blah blah blah, mm-hmm. blah blah blah, they're all doing this already. And then we're like, oh well, if everyone else is doing it, we're not going to be the fucking martyrs over here. Yeah, we were because um, we were worried that people like we didn't like it, and we were worried that people would
1: not like it and watch other things. And then our YouTube analyst said, well, it hasn't it hasn't hurt the viewership of these other channels. Yeah, it's just because. If you watch any YouTube channel anywhere, you're going to go, oh, this is just what's happened. This is YouTube is just, just implemented. This is this. how the
0: system is. Mm-hmm. And so, like with podcasts, like I don't like listening to ads. No one likes listening to ads. Like nobody does. Everyone wishes they could have a totally ad free experience, which we offer with the Patreon, by the way. No YouTube ads, no me yapping ads, no ads with the Patreon. But I just, I, I, Not that everyone needs to know the nuts and bolts of how the job works to every little bit, but like what seems pretty obvious to us, which is just that this is how this – this is how content delivery works now and it's like a systematic thing. It's not just like our choice to be greedy we're we're so rarely greedy. We're like pretty minimally greedy. Yeah. We're pretty bad at that part of the job. Yeah. <laughs> like we don't we don't like sneak sponsored content in and and try to pretend like it's editorial mm-hmm. like everybody wants us to do. We don't, you know, we don't make the guests sit here while I read an ad like other people do. Like I understand that some people might find that to be less quote jarring than cutting away to an ad, but like I'm not going to make the guests sit there and listen to an ad, and I'm not going to take away from a good conversation and go, well, let mm-hmm. me stop the show right now to read this ad. And oh by the way, where were we? Um, it's just, it's just. I just hope that uh, that by explaining it, people will understand that like this, the systems, the software, the people who pay always want to get the most for their money, whether that's YouTube or these other advertisers. And so, yeah, it's annoying for you. That's because the advertisers want it to be. Mm-hmm. They don't want you to skip the ad. They want you to listen to the ad. And, like, they're going to figure out that, that we need their ad money. Otherwise, we can't do the show. Mm-hmm. And so all I'm saying is if there's a content creator that you like, but you don't like the format of their ads... And if otherwise they're doing pretty good by you, like, just don't complain to them about it. They're doing their best. Like, we're just trying to pay the bills over here. And, like, I don't – we don't need sympathy. Like, we we don't – it's not like we're like, oh, poor us. But it's like this is just how this system works. I know I have fancy cars. You don't need to feel bad for me. But, like – there's a re- but like literally the advertisers left. <laughs> like yeah. we went from like a record ad sales year to no to zero yeah. in a matter of about three months, and that's why that was a little scary. Yeah, because yeah. all those advertisers that were buying all that shit were like, we bought all this shit, and like, oh, by the way, everyone skipped over it. So that's that's you know. If you really want to be supportive, listen all the way through. Somebody will see it. It will move the needle. Or join the Patreon. Or join the Patreon. It's cheap and you don't have to listen to any ads ever. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's a rant or an explanation. I'm, I'm not trying to be a bitch. But like I just I've dealt with the same angry email enough times now that I feel like there isn't a clear understanding about how the system works. Because I don't, I don't know, because I'm on the inside of the system, so it seemed kind of obvious to me that that was what was happening. But, but maybe not, maybe not. Um. Shout out to Joey Diaz, Joey Coco Diaz. I just finished his book, Tremendous. I finished it in 24 hours. 200, that's how great of a fucking book it is. 225 pages. I finished it in 24 hours. Blasted through it. It is tremendous. He's a fucking maniac. Yeah. His life is crazy. It is insane. Yeah. He has, he has the nuttiest
1: stories that he yeah. tells very well in all of his comedy. Yeah. But holy shit. He, he has... didn't just do a
0: couple of crimes. Mm-mm. He did a lot of crimes. <laughs> I mean, he talks, he talks about like in the book, there's probably 50 or 60 individual robberies he mentions. Holy shit. The details of in the books. No way. He stole a lot of things from wow. a lot of people. Yeah. He's, like, the most honest criminal ever. Yeah. And it was an interesting—a very interesting story of him going from—and it's not like he was a criminal because he was a bad guy. He was a junkie, and he and he just kept getting that cycle of what being— He was he's on Coke? Oh, yeah, yeah. All the Coke.
1: I mean, he talks about Coke a lot, but I didn't know if he was also on heroin or something else. Okay. Mm-mm. Yeah.
0: There was one point that was very funny in the book where he's trying to figure out how to get off Coke— and he realizes that if he snorts heroin, he doesn't want coke. And he wrote—he actually wrote some letter Jeez. to like the FDA, talking about how he thinks heroin should Love be. Ex- That's the, the most that he, cocaine letter I've ever heard. The shit he of. did while on drugs was like crazy. He called—he called the cops on himself like five times. Oh man, can I borrow that book from you? Yeah, I borrow—I got it from the library. Oh, okay. so um, I can get. A library I, yeah, yeah, uh, Hannah. I was buying so many books, and I like buying books to, I like supporting the authors and all that kind of stuff. But Hannah was like, You're buying so many fucking books. And, 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 and she was buying books too. And the books that she was buying, like 50% of them, she didn't like. Mm, Right. And she would, she'd feel bad about bailing on them, like 50 pages in. She was like, This book sucks. But I paid for it. But I bought it. And so she joined the library, which, not rocket science to do, and uh, and so now we're we've been getting books from the library. I almost had a fucking panic attack because I thought uh, uh, Henry Graybar, who we're having on the podcast tomorrow, who wrote Paved Paradise, library book. Brought it to France. Thought I left it in the hotel room. Oh my god! I was like, that fine will be thousands of dollars. <laughs> I thought uh, I, no, it probably, I mean, no, I it, it be, wasn't. It would be like forty bucks. Pressing, but still, yeah. like my biggest problem is that I treat all inconveniences as equally deserving you of do. a panic attack. Yeah. Hannah reminds me of this all the time, and I was like, I "Fucking left the book." She's like, "It's if if you did, it's like forty bucks. Like it's okay. It'll be it'll be as if you bought it, and then you know, right? But, but then the librarian would never let you in the building again." <gasps> Or like no, you know, the library by us, uh, it okay. has a due date, but there's no late fees. Hmm. So, like, if you bring it back late, they're like, eh. Like, did you read? Good. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah nice. pretty much. Uh, the, I, have, I know that
1: some library memberships in California also give you free access to state parks. There's a, of, yeah, there's, a there's a bunch of yeah. There's a bunch other of stuff. benefits. Yeah. There's side benefits yeah, to the library a lot card. Of them. Yes, there are. And there. free audiobooks, and of course, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah.
0: There's a bunch of stuff you can get with the, with the library card. I I recommend the library card. The, the 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 there was like four people in line for tremendous. I the num, the intersection of Joey Diaz fans with library cards. You ever think you'd find that? Is there cocaine residue in the pages? <laughs> yeah. you shake Why the book is this out. Why plastic and, like, cover so scratched? You up. open it. And <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> I left it's like a pay it forward thing. I left I left the gram in there for <laughs> Sisterhood of the Traveling <laughs> Cocaine. <laughs> yeah. That guy is something else. Oh god, it was it's a funny ass story. I cannot recommend it uh highly enough. Uh, a couple other people uh emailed me somewhat pedantically in my description of the Audi Q8 e-tron from last week. Apparently I said That the Audi doesn't have regen braking, which I meant in a casual way. What I meant literally was it doesn't have a one-pedal drive mode. Oh. So it does recuperate some power Mm -hmm. when you hit the brakes. It has a regenerative capacity, and when you brake using the pedal, it recovers some energy. But it does not have a one pedal drive. I casually, this is one of the things with EVs is the terms, you can't use casual language with an EV. You know, if you say kilowatt instead of kilowatt hours, Mm -hmm. or if you say it doesn't have a regen instead of saying it doesn't have a one pedal drive, you can't be casual with some of this stuff. And, like, I get it, but, like. Leave me the fuck alone. Um, but <laughs> I, I mean, when you said it, I also thought it just didn't regen at all. I was like, that's an no, interesting. No, that's choice. like all all, um, all AC powered EVs, like a, DC, a basic old school DC. Like when I drove the electric DeLorean mm-hmm. prototype, the one that's now in the lobby of Google, yeah. that was a DC motor. DCs do not have any regen, it's just no capability. Bower, battery to motor to out. All AC-powered pretty much has does have some kind of regen. It's just, does it have a, a one-pedal system where it defaults to recover when you take your foot off the gas, or does it have a, a coast and, and it regenerates when you hit the brake? Audi and Porsche— So the Porsche, Audi and Porsche, they, do, they don't activate—you don't reduce your speed until you touch the brake pedal. Correct. That's, okay. what, I, that's what I meant to say. If I use the wrong words— uh, I'm sorry but I was being a little more casual in my conversation and some of the nerds took that as offense. All modern electric vehicles that you can buy have a regenerative capacity. It's just does it is it activated by the brake is it activated by taking your foot off the accelerator pedal or some combination of the right. two. And then some don't will not slow you down
1: to zero even when you lift off the brake uh, mm-hmm. the, the throttle pedal. So that's another—that's like a third option.
0: Yeah. Going back to the Ford after the Audi, one-pedal driving is such a nice thing to have in an electric car. Do you—I
1: uh, was talking to a bunch of the journalists on the Lotus thing because we were just talking about what we like in EVs. And um, a lot of us like the one-pedal driving thing, but someone was commenting that their their mom has an EV and doesn't use that system very much. Like, they like going to the brake
0: pedal. Yeah. Have you talked to either Hannah, Hannah. or your parents? Like. Hannah turns it off. Okay. Every time I get in the car, I set my seat, I set the mirror, and then I activate one pedal driving. So why does she not like it? I'm just curious, no judgment. She just doesn't. She just it just doesn't it it, it feels um too different from what she's used to. Mm-hmm. She she wants electric driving to come to where she's at. She doesn't That's want to, to change right. her behavior. And like it's one toggle switch. It's great mm-hmm. that both are I agree. Uh, are available. So it's, it's not a big deal that the car has both. I wonder if
1: it's a thing where people that drive cars with manual transmissions more frequently are into one pedal because you're used to, you know, downshift, let off both pedals, reducing speed. Mm-hmm. Like we're kind of used to that timing and sensation. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Or Could we be. just like the game of, ooh, can I time it right where I lift my foot and it comes to a stop?
0: Yeah, I'd love to see what the cross section is of... Of people who prefer one pedal and what their history and experience is with cars versus people who who don't yeah. like it, and what their his what their experience has been with cars, I think that does, that could make sense. People who who use the gearbox to slow the car down, who are used to that, might like it better. I just think if we're gonna go computer driving, like let's just go all the way. Let's go all the way to computer driving. Like
1: I, I just I like it. I don't yeah. know why I like it. I think it is a little. It's a little bit of a game of will I time this correctly, and uh, I hope I'm not using the brake pads, brake dust, carcinogens, all that stuff, and also just reducing wearables is yeah. awesome. The fact that you can slow down without having to change out your brake pads every six months is sweet. And in the
0: in the Ford and in Teslas, it's if the regenerative braking is very predictable and it's very easy. To get, I almost never use the brakes in the Ford at all. It's very easy to judge your your slowing down. Um, uh, what do you? How fast it scrubs speed and where it will come to a complete stop. I could easily come to a complete stop right where I want to without using the brakes. It's not very hard. But um, yeah, Hannah just doesn't like it because it's just different mm-hmm. from the other stuff she drives. So. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, that's all I really have on my list. Did you you had some links up on the show? Was there something about the military Hummer that you had? That no, you, that's old. Oh, that's just but, old. But uh, did you have some update of something? Well, there's a Mercedes story. Oh, I if you yeah. saw that? Yeah. And then the irony of this: Mercedes, the new S-Class could have a yoke. And more physical buttons at the same time. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like two steps forward, one step back, right? That's uh, Brussels sprouts with bacon. <laughs> yeah. I use that reference too much,
1: I just realized. But this is a funny thing of one step forward, one step backwards. Um, I like the button
0: look, though. We will That's probably cool. get to a point where, and, and probably not very far away, where variable ratio steer by wire is a reality mm-hmm. and safe and dependable. Yeah, probably. We've now we've stopped talking about brake by wire. Yes, we bitched about brake by wire for like a year or so, and then kind of stopped. And now most people, even enthusiasts, are not likely to know if their car has a brake by wire system or not.
1: True, and I mean like the NS the new NSX has it, and the new Type S has it. The Corvette
0: has it. Yeah, and it like
1: you have consistent pedal feel or sorry pedal pressure. Not necessarily feel, but it they can tune it to make it feel like the brakes grab really early or really late and all that shit. It's the right. same with steering, you can program all these things. But um but even I I guess I guess you know, we'll see as they develop it. If it gets good enough where all you have to do is turn your hands ninety degrees and never do hand over hand, I guess the question is, is that better somehow? Or is it worse or does it not really matter? Is it just the way you operate it, the way you operate it?
0: Yeah. I'd love to try a prototype and see if it's if it's intuitive or not. Drive the one Toyota to, made, right? To, to me, it a- seems like solving a problem that isn't, doesn't exist. Uh, but Mercedes is also the first company to come out with a, a level three system. Mm-hmm. And so at least if you're going to imply that you don't need to steer so much, that at least they're the, they're the only ones who are selling a system where you don't have to pay attention for periods of time. So there's that. That's, but that's the same thing Tesla did. I mean, Tesla's system wasn't as good, but Tesla was like, "Well, you won't need to drive this." You well, don't they need they implied wheel. that, yeah. but in the fine print, they said you absolutely need to drive that, and they implied you won't have to in the future. But the tech wasn't remotely there. Right. Mercedes is actually putting the horse before the cart, and then yeah, and then telling you about the cart later. Right. That's true. So if if they if they if they go fleet wide level three, and then they start taking. the normal steering wheels away with full steer by wire. At least that's the correct order.
1: Yeah. It'll be weird like you know, if if you're on if you're going thirty miles an hour and you need to take a left bend, you just turn the wheel like fifteen degrees. But then if you come to a stop and have to turn into a parking lot, right. do you then just turn it like twenty degrees and it adjusts by speed. I assume it does. And someone mentioned correctly Lexus has this in one of their cars. I don't know if it's a prototype. Fensky it drove was a, it.
0: It was a prototype. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not actually for sale oh, yeah. right now. He said it was imperfect, but, you know, they're taking <laughs> steps. And Fensky is very charitable with his criticisms of stuff, too. He, he will not call something a flaming shitbox. But if he says it's imperfect, that's what he means. <laughs> no, yeah. He,
1: he pointed out very specifically, like, this is good. This is bad. He had some really good shots showing the difference in degrees and how it wasn't consistent. Um, it's a really good
0: video. But, but the problem with variable step. ratio steering where you're never designed to go more than 90 degrees is that there's going to be an inherent limit to where you can't go more. If you reach 90 degrees and the system is programmed so that it's not, quote, safe to turn the wheel more than a certain number of degrees, right, at the for your speed, mm. like in a regular car, like let's say you wanted to for some reason – crank the wheel super hard to avoid something or if you're at a racetrack and we're talking about you know yes you're going to induce understeer or what you're not going to have an effective response but it's still you doing a thing Mm -hmm. you're still you're still pushing the car past that limit but if they put artificial limits to steering angle based on well it has to work With this ninety degrees to ninety degrees at this given speed, there will be a limit beyond which you will no longer have control.
1: Yeah, I don't, and I I threw out ninety as just without any sort of uh, evidence, but I was just thinking if you were going to go beyond that, why wouldn't you keep it round? Because otherwise, you know, reaching across into the and finding a gap is kind of strange. But um, I don't know if they'll have you know speed limits on the thing, or if it will just it'll do what you say. Like if you were driving in the snow. Let's say you're going 40 miles per hour on a snowy road legally and all that stuff. And all of a sudden it kicked out and you have to counter-steer. I would would hope that they think about that. I'm sure they will. And then the car will let you you counter-steer.
0: Yeah, Uh, and and the intuitiveness of it has to be perfectly dialed in because Mm -hmm. it's – you're literally changing how people interact with this machine in a way that is not necessarily natural. yeah. But all all of these things,
1: you know, it's I think they probably look at the number of cases of you know, counter steer required versus miles driven. And it's like, well if point oh oh four percent needs counter steer and this saves us money or makes us a uh, a leader in the space with this new technology etc cetera, etc cetera, then yeah. they're going to go with it.
0: I think it's solving a problem that isn't the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, the argument that I've heard for eliminating mechanical steering is is that the physical steering column could injure you mm-hmm. whereas a total steer by wire system offers a better, better crumple zone in a crash, which okay, I'll 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 hear that. That's that's fine. You're making the car safer in terms of a crash. But God, do I hate when they take away intuitive – I mean, just just think about the the recent Audi RS5 we drove and then the S7, which was like not steer by wire, but it was like super electric steering, mm-hmm. highly variable ratio versus the fixed ratio of the RS5. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be an enthusiast really to drive those two cars and know which one is like better and more intuitive. Uh, I think f- with our
1: palate, or maybe that's the wrong way to say it, what we like in a car, yes. But, you know, if someone's 60, let's just a uh, little ages, but whatever. Someone who might go, I like this. The effort's lower on this car, on this steering wheel than on this other one. There's some people that like that. They want yeah. the thing to be – like LS, LS 400s and 600s, those things are super overboosted. And we might go, oh, there's not a lot of steering feel here, but the shopper doesn't give a shit. They want it to be really easy to turn.
0: Yeah. Man, it's it's just, funny, though. It's interesting that
1: we look back at the cars in the early 1900s, like 1902, 3456, and, oh, the pedals are over here. We're like, isn't that weird? Look at how it changed. And then we've kind of had this steady system and layout for 80 years, maybe mm-hmm. 100 years. Since and the now, 30s. It's, now it's Yeah, since the 30s. And now it's, like, starting to shift again a little bit.
0: Yeah. I, I think they should make the machine come to where we're at and not make us relearn how to drive for a new machine. I don't, I don't think that's too much to ask, and I don't think that I'm being like a grouchy old man by saying that.
1: I wonder – it would be cool to talk to an engineer or find out what the stats are on you know, front-end collisions and where the level of injury is deemed very high due to – Because we have column. collapsible steering columns. Yeah. Like, that's been a thing since the 50s, 60s. That's fucking like, – like, that's right. unsafe at any speed is where that comes from. So, they um, used
0: to have – things that looked like torpedoes in the, Bro, center I of one. the steering wheel. Yeah. yeah.
1: Like remember the, the spiker wheel granted yeah. collapsible steering column, but that was incredibly dangerous. Yeah. You looked at that and you were getting cut into four slices and putting put into an it orange like, juice machine. It uh, like
0: yeah, it was like a lemon 11, 11 Exactly. Thing.
1: <laughs> like, it's an apple core. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, I wonder I wonder how much injury this is promised to reduce. I don't yeah. know cuz we have airbags and all that shit, but I'm sure it's still an impact, it still hurts. Yeah. I don't know. Don't know. Don't know. Very interesting um, stuff. So Please don't do it. The last story I had up is my, my buddy, Avin, who has a, uh Alpha Julia quad, and I make fun of him a lot. I that's go, the
0: dude I met at Luft, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was um, cool.
1: I like. Sh- him. Shout out to Avin. Very nice guy. But he, I make fun of him a lot because he has a car that he's supposed to break down frequently, Yeah, and he loves it. And every time I see those cars, I'm like, God, that's pretty. But he, So, of course, he sends me positive stories about Alpha Romeo when uh, they come out. And... One of the ones he had sent over, uh, I need to find, was basically Stellantis moved up 23 places in the last year in uh-huh. terms of JD Power initial quality. So
0: okay. they were, they so were like, a lot of, 24th. they make a lot of cars. How they do, do make how, a lot of cars. Has, where is Alpha? Is Alpha singled out there? They were, they, were just par, uh, they were singled out as also moving up. They, they did they move up specifically move because they
1: stopped selling fiats in America? <laughs> that's funny. Um, oh, CNN. Let me pull this up really quick. It was – because I, I opened this link and I'm like, he's going to send me something, some bullshit, and this will be wrong. And, and they did, to their credit, increase their score and move up 23
0: spots because well, they, they had
1: dismal initial quality before that.
0: So um, now they went from 24th to 3rd?
1: I don't know. Uh, give me two seconds. I had this link on the wrong thing.
0: Jeremy Clarkson just wrote a, his uh, whatever Times art uh, review of of a Julia. They have some new powertrain in it that uh, Alfa Romeo takes top spot. Top spot. Wow, this from a couple of days ago. What really? How interesting. Yeah. Uh, so it was what
1: was interesting. Uh, is They asked one of the bosses like, how the, you know, how did you do this? Because you yeah. guys were terrible. And they said one of the ways is they reduced the number of options on cars, and then they reduced, the, which reduced the number of combinations and yeah. then fail points. So they went from
0: like 20. What is it? Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. So J.D. Power okay it, doesn't is, just measure things that actually went wrong or broke. It mm-hmm. also considers as problems things that customers just don't like, even if they're if they're working fine. So that's interesting. Okay, in Alfa Romeo's case, one of the biggest steps was reducing the number of different versions and option combinations for each each product. Uh, we drove down from hundreds of thousands of combinations of Stelvios and Julias to less than two thousand of each, greatly reducing challenges for the factory, ensuring the quality of each vehicle built. Well, that's smart. That's a wild ratio of simplification. But look- who even knew there were that many possibilities for – like it's not like I see alphas in like crazy color combinations or anything. Like right. I thought there was a couple trims in a couple of colors and that was really it. I, I mean I think – Every alpha I see is black, white, red, gray or blue. Right. But I th- I think –
1: well, my hunch is that they also learned – that people were only ordering from a black, certain couple... of ba- uh, baskets, red, blue, And yeah. they went, why are we offering 100,000 different combinations of interior stitching and this and this and this and this? Yeah. Those are all fail points or problem points. Um, I did I did clap back that, at him that, like, well, then you should get a new Alpha
0: because <laughs> this is yeah. a couple of years old. When they built yours, it was a 37th out of... Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. And... Um, so this is J.D. Power's initial quality study, which is, yeah. like, when you first get your car. But... Cars are getting more complicated in general, so it seems like people that buy other brands, regardless of what brand it is, there's so much complication and layout and screen and all yeah. this stuff. Like, if they have trouble finding something in the screen menu, that can go on the scorecard. Mm-hmm. So it's like everything's getting more complicated, even if it's a Lexus or a Toyota that's yeah. super reliable.
0: Cars cars are in a lot of ways too complicated. At times, yeah. There's there there doesn't need there's so many ways to do stuff. It took me. I'm more or less an expert, and it took me like 25 minutes to figure out how to turn off the lane departure thing mm. on on the Q8. Like why did that take so long? That should be very easy to do. Like just little stuff like that, um, and, you, and they really need to have uh, dealers train really well and also encourage people to take the time to sit there with the dealer mm-hmm. and learn how to do that kind of stuff. Because it's it's complicated. Yeah.
1: When I drove the S class, i I was shocked. I was shocked at how quickly I was using the menu, and then I realized it's because I've driven because you're driven two the other SL Mercedes before and it. The, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm starting to understand how the system works. So, yeah. like, if you're an owner, you'll get it. You know, after a little bit. But uh, initially, when we get in these, some of them are much more complicated. Bro, than the others.
0: SL was like, that was there was way too much going on there. Yeah.
1: And, and The EQEs and SS like. The hyperscreen, mm-hmm. it makes it more complicated for me.
0: Yeah. I really hate, to go back to the Mercedes with the yoke, I hated it when Tesla said it, and I hate it that it was in this article with Mercedes, that they're—they're they're, one of the reasons for going with the yoke is to make the, the screen easier to see. Like, if you need to take off the top half of the steering wheel to oh. see the gauge cluster, you've designed the gauge cluster badly. Like, other people don't have a problem with this. I've drive cars with round steering wheels mm-hmm. all the time, and I can see everything I need to see in the gauge cluster. It could be an Audi. It could be an Aston Martin. It could be a Range Rover. It could be a, a Hyundai. Yeah. And I can see through the round wheel in the gauge cluster. Right. But the business case is that now they
1: – regardless of your height, you'll be able to see everything because sometimes we've driven cars where I can't see something right. you can or vice versa. That's true. Yeah. Also, a badly designed
0: gauge cluster. <laughs>
1: You can, you can, more you can fix low. the
0: problem of designing the gauge cluster better without having it's one of the actually one of the one of the things I I find to be very nice about the Tesla Model 3 you hear that Tesla people to say something nice about a Tesla is actually because there is no gauge pod because I like my steering wheel real low because I have short T Rex arms, Mm. long torso, short. So I like a low steering wheel. I can put that steering wheel wherever the fuck I want, and it does not affect the vision of the speedometer and those other things. Now, granted, they're not in the right place. They're over here on the side. Well, that's
1: why I think the Maki move is smart, and the Lotus Eletre, which these are photos. I'm not breaking embargo. Has the same thing. Most information is on the big screen in the middle, but but Maki and Lotus, you have the little thing in front of you that can never be hidden by the steering wheel unless yeah. the airbag is deployed. Yeah. And you just hit there. That's your your speedometer, your speed limit, and, like, your cruise control. And yeah. that's
0: great. Yeah, and your range. And your range. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, that's fine. I'm okay with that. We don't – I but screens are cheap and it's like – and you can fill a dash with them and people go, wow. But you're actually saving money because you're building less – Physical gauges and dash right. and aluminum work and stuff. And so by emphasizing more and more screens, you get to actually cheapen out yeah. by, sa- by, by not having to build other things there.
1: Well, and then, and then you should you would think that I'm sure there are people that work in these interior departments and their only job is to arrange the layout of that gauge cluster. So, like, what information is the most important and needs to be seen by the widest spread of people regardless of their height? Mm-hmm. And so most of the time we all can see the crucial stuff. But every now and then we'll get in a car where the you know speed limit, which it's supposed to detect as you pass these signs, sometimes is hidden behind the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. And you're like – that is one of the most crucial pieces of information yeah. that this car can present. Oh,
0: dude, Lamborghini! When I had the uh, the Urus Performante, you know they have the they have a digital gauge cluster in the middle. All Lambos have a digital gauge cluster, but the temperature and the fuel levels are outside the digital cluster on the very edge hmm. of the binnacle, and in fact are totally hidden by the steering wheel, which is how I ended up run, almost running the car dry. Because someone and it's not a, it's not a big deal. Usually these cars come full of gas. Somebody fucked up at Lambo. They didn't fill it before they brought it to me, and the thing was like on like ten miles to empty. But because I didn't, <laughs> that's like one highway blast. It was over. yeah, it was it was it was not great. And like the fact that the the, the steering wheel blocks. the the fuel gauge Mm -hmm. I didn't notice it at first and then Hannah took the car out and she's like there's like no gas in this she's like she almost ran and dry."
1: (laughs) and it's I wonder like I'm sure the car has a warning that pops up, but it may have popped up on the drive over it, yeah. before you guys got yeah, it and you it, hit OK. Yeah, it did and not. And then it clears
0: it, that away. It didn't. Yeah. Uh, so it was, whoops. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So you got to make sure the your fuel gauge or your range gauge – It's
1: hard. There's so many things. Because now you can change you – know, the right side gauge, you can like, select. You want to see your GPS right. or your range and your trip uh, trip information and whatnot. I just, but, I'd
0: rather – just give yeah. me one screen to do the things that need to be on a screen real gauge I mean, they're never going back I'm, I'm, I'm beating a dead horse right. but like god I just I, I really just I want, a, I want regular ass gauges I don't want a glowing thing in my face at night yeah I, I think, feel like it's fucking my eyes up yeah it could be compared yeah, like, to compared to old school gauges
1: well our time with because I went and saw the optometrist like two months ago and it's my proximity to screens and the frequency and duration at which yeah. I use them she's like yeah your eyes are having to focus at very close distance a long time of being exposure, and the the brightness of a screen with darkness behind it—that contrast challenges your eyes a lot too. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it was nice when heads up display is nice, and then maybe in the beginning when they had two analog dials and like a little screen in the mm-hmm. middle that could show your turn by turn, and that was like that was enough. But yeah,
0: I, I don't I don't need a it, glowing screen in front of my face, especially when driving at night. Yeah. It's not. If you can't
1: and if you can't dim it like
0: significantly, yeah. it is really annoying. And if the blacks aren't yeah. black, you need like a good screen for the blacks to be black. Yeah. Um, Aston Martin was like all about the blacks of their new screens on there, which I didn't drive it at night, so I couldn't actually verify their claim. But <laughs> they say that uh, the blacks are very black. Um, all right. So, let's go to the Patreon Of course, patreon.com Slash the Smoking Tire Podcast Get the show early, get it without ads Folks, get it without ads We're offering it to you cheap Never sit through an ad again And of course, ask us questions for the live show And be the first to be able To purchase the uh, Smoking Tire Watch Collab With Notice Watches, which I'm wearing uh, Right now, this beautiful Mint green Mint green, baby, for the winter um, I talked about it on the Pro Driver Show. Uh, I also have some Instagram posts about this watch. Limited to 100 pieces. Individually numbered. Whoa. And we're going to be giving one away with a trip to Los Angeles. It's going to be fun. Oh, Alright. We, oh, we got a bunch, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, Christian, update on replacing the Mach-E. Uh, lease isn't up until first week of April 2024. Both Ford... Uh, we may replace it with another Mach E. Um, other, we were looking at possibly the the new forthcoming Acura EV, but it's not going to be available yet. Uh, Volvo XC60 Recharge. Uh, they said if I wanted one for April delivery, I should order it by the end of September. So we still have a little bit of uh, deci- decisions to make and time to make it. Nothing else on the leaderboard. Right Lotus Elantra. Can can you talk about the price of that vehicle yet, or no? It's mm, they expensive. They hadn't announced right? us
1: pricing. Yeah, it's expensive. It's expensive. It's at it, least twice what you paid for. the Oh market,
0: yeah, okay. So. That's not. I no. mean, even I threw the, it out as like kind of a joke. Even the even if we get this Volvo, it would be at the upper end of what we are willing to pay for a daily driver. In order to get the recharge with the air suspension and the wool interior, you have to buy the top trim one, which is like seventy five grand. It's expensive. Mm-hmm. It's like it's really more than I would want to spend on a daily driver, um, compared to replacing the Mach E, which we'd get the same one, which is like fifty-five grand, uh, significantly cheaper. Still a lot of money, but but um, those are but those are on the leaderboard now. And God, I love that air suspension and that wool interior. That shit nice. is nice. Yeah, looks good. It's nice. real nice. Mm-hmm. Um, Although interestingly, if I get the XC 500 watches, right? If we got the <laughs> XC 90 recharge, not the 60, which we do not need, right? You don't. It is, we don't need three row SUV. Tax deductible. I could take advantage of the tax thing that it, I complain about. Was it the first time. year depreciation? The 6, 000, Yeah, you could depreciate the entire purchase price in the first year. That's insane. Which, given that I've opened a second store, would be maximally beneficial. But I, I don't want to do it. I don't want. It's more car than I need. I don't believe in buying more car than I need. Why do not need a three? Do you know why SUV. that law
1: exists? If you're
0: not buying it as a company, you have to buy it as a company. Oh, you have to. Buy yeah, it as yeah, company. you have to buy. It's a business expense. Oh, okay. But like, I'm, we're a business here, right? Business owns the fucking Ford. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That it, but it's not because it's not it doesn't have the weight thing. It's not you can't depreciate the first. But if a business owned it, it had to be only used for business purposes, or you have to log your miles for like this is business,
1: this is it's, not business.
0: It's a, it's a it's kind of a gray area. I mean, it's, you you do have to submit a report every year that shows how many miles are for business and how many miles are for personal use. But like it's it's not something that the that they are capable of like tracking right all and they the just pull a lot of funding out of the irs for that and like new bill yeah, yeah and like so much and so much of our work is is business anyway like it's whatever um nobody beats the whiz says uh using Turo for the first time in san diego uh, uh, in san diego oh, to rent a high-end ev the skeptic oh we'll come back to okay. that other one uh the skeptic side of me keeps remembering I've read some Turo horror stories, um, such as owners fabricating renter damage, car being misrepresented, et cetera, et cetera. Owner seems nice. I prepaid for charging and added extra coverage. Beyond that, tips or thoughts on Turo? Turo is a great thing if you want to drive a specific vehicle that is not mm-hmm. normally available from a rental car agency. But it's like just like Airbnb, wherein you're dealing with a person and a specific thing. And so if it goes wrong, it's not like you can just go, the tires on this Ford Mustang are flat. I'm leaving it. I want that Ford Mustang instead. And they go, okay, and give you another one. Um, There's not a lot of, like, recourse. If something – if the car is misrepresented, you know, Turo, the service, will probably refund your money. But, like, now you don't have a car. Right. So it's not like – you know, you go to a hotel room – and uh, it smells funny. You go, I want a different room, and they go, okay. They switch to a different room. It's not like, well, then get out of the hotel, and <laughs> you're out on the street with your <laughs> yeah. suitcase. Yeah. So like, yeah. So check over the car, make sure the tires are good. Take I, take, take photos of, of the car photo. before yeah. and when you drop it off. That's mm-hmm. the way you prevent yourself
1: from being dinged by damage that they find after you've left. Yeah. So do that.
0: the The only real issues I've seen before. As a, I've never personally experienced someone who'd gotten blamed for damage that they didn't do, but the photos for sure. But check the tires. I've I've definitely had people who come to Westside. They want a tour. They're in L.A. They've rented an M3 for the weekend on Turo, and they want to stop in for a tour. And there's three different kinds of tires on the M3, and it's like, you know, whatever. It, it's just shitty. Mm-hmm. And they go, well, uh, you know, I'll fix it later. But like, you you now had this shady experience. So. That's pretty much what I would be concerned about. Um, <clears throat> Tim A. said, Zach's S-63 review uh, prompted the question, is it preferable to make a sports car luxurious, Oh, is it more preferable to make a sports car luxurious than make a luxury car into a performance vehicle? I would say it's preferable to make a sports car luxurious because sports cars are often light and agile and pretty and you could add luxurious materials and better seats and stuff like that where if you make a luxury car into a performance vehicle you start with a heavy car Mm -hmm. and then you have to spring it really stiff Mm -hmm. you have to put a ton of power a ton of brakes a ton of spring rate in there to make it do what you want to do and you've ended up with a very heavy car i think you also
1: if you start with a like a really luxurious car It's hard to remove the things that make it luxurious Mm. in the process of trying to turn it into a good sports car. Like the S-Class has, you know, amazing massage sheets and all these things people have come to expect from a luxury sedan. And if you want to try to make it really sporty, what you need to do is take the weight out. But then people go, well, it's missing all of these things I like. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you take, you know, uh, like a 911 – I think the Dakar is actually a good example. You, you've taken this thing that has a good structure. It's got a really solid structure because it's a good sports car. And then you have turned it into something that is a, a, quite different from what it originated as by adding suspension and adding these different like accoutrements to it. But no one's... Few people are going to complain that you took the sportiness out of it because you really just added some more things. And yeah. if they don't like that it's heavier, they still sell the light one over there. Yeah. But I think – I don't think you compromise the vehicle as much going the direction
0: you said yeah. as if you try to go from luxury to sporty. Yeah. I'd rather own the luxurious version of a sports car than the sporty version of a luxury car anytime. anytime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd rather have a 911 with comfort seats and extended leather package than – an SL Mercedes or an S-Class coupe with 700 horsepower mm-hmm. and an and a stiff suspension and 22-inch wheels and like If you took the S-Class and then took out all the nice
1: stuff to make it a really sporty sedan for some reason, well, now I just have a gigantic sports car (laughs) that's too big. And so I'd rather go get something smaller anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah. Aaron, oh, no, Aaron was responding to the other guy's Turo question. Uh, Lucas says, nostalgia drives classic car purchases. Do you think younger generations will be less nostalgic for the past, being that their young lives are so much better documented than ours? No, I don't really think so. Um, I, I, I think that that the nostalgia for a car is driven by either the car you wanted when you were a kid and couldn't afford, and I think that's still the case. I don't think Instagram and phones and multiplayer video games – and and uh, connectivity negate that if you're a young enthusiast who can't afford a car at 16 you'll probably want that car when you're 40 or 50
1: mm-hmm.
0: and or uh, getting an idealized version of the car you did have when you were a kid so if you're a young person right now and you've got a 3 or 4 year old Honda Civic Si you may want the mintest Honda Civic Si around in that many and also like if you you know if manual transmissions are totally gone by the time you're at car collecting age, you may want a manual transmission. If if V8s are totally gone by the time you you may still want to have a nostalgia for the V8. If you you might want the car that your dad took you home from the hospital in. Yeah,
1: it's all, nostalgia. I think is just based on like the the. I mean, really, it's like dopamine you got when you had an experience when you were younger and you associate you have like a strong association with that experience, so mm. like riding in a car with your dad. Or we went to certain concerts when we were 16 and our brains are like this is the best music ever. And that's why so many people tend to listen to music from a certain part of their age or of their uh, when they were a certain age versus finding new stuff because right. it's just like. You loved it so strongly, like literally chemically with your brain, that you're not gonna like the new thing as much unless you're a very unique person. So, that's why I think we see people buying original Nintendos for like, you know, way too much money on eBay because they're like, oh, I get to have the thing that I liked as a kid or, you know, this card game or this weird toy or whatever the fuck. Like, I don't think, I don't know, I don't know if the advent of social media and like having, I don't know if having a document, like a photo of the thing you like will replace owning the thing. I don't think it will. I think if you have a positive memory with something, whether it's a car or something else, even if you have photos or videos of it, like that's not going to take the place of wanting to actually experience that thing.
0: Mm. Uh, Ivan says, uh, in your opinion, what defines a true sports car? What compromises are needed to fulfill the recipe? Uh, all cars are now luxurious and fast, with seemingly no sacrifices in order to enjoy Taking rawness out, is it true or just me who refuses to accept that's how progress works? Well, you certainly had to make more of a sacrifice in the past to drive a sports car. People with money who can afford a extra car don't want to make certain sacrifices anymore. I don't think there's anybody who's going to spend a hundred grand or even fifty grand on a sports car right now that will, buy something without air conditioning, you know, or, yeah. or, or buy something without uh power door locks, you know, or, or basic stuff that that has become kind of a given in our in our world. You could still buy a relative and there's also mandated safety equipment, whether it's impact zones or certain types of lighting or airbags or traction control modules, et cetera, et cetera. And so, like, even a, even Lotus, they're not going to sell you like a 2,200 pound car today because you cannot build that car with all the modern stuff that it needs to have.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, Caterham will, but that's because they're. That's like loophole shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, there are true sports cars. Um, the Boxster and Cayman are true sports cars. Uh, and they have almost no compromises. They don't have a back seat, okay? They don't have. Uh, what doesn't the boxer came in? I mean, they 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 have everything.
1: I I think this is a a the problem is using a definition that was made before this equipment was available. Mm-hmm. Like, so if the term sports car really came into its own in the sixties and seventies, then we have this idea that a sports car must be something. You have to hurt for. You have to hurt for because AC didn't exist or barely existed and because power steering didn't exist. Or it sucked a lot of
0: power out of the car.
1: Any of those things. And it's like, well, if they could do this back then, they probably would have because people were still hot when it was hot out and cold when it was cold out. So I think now we are – there is a little bit more overlap. Like the M2, the new one is big and has every comfort you could want basically. Like is it a sports car or is it like a sporty GT car versus – you know, the Cayman. It is still... It's also growing, but it feels like it has a little bit more compromise than something like an M2. I, I just think we can get... I think we can tick some of these boxes in more vehicles than ever, but that's a good thing. I don't think it's a bad thing.
0: Yeah, the closest thing you can get... You, you've got Boxster Cayman, you've got the 86, you've got Corvette, um, and, and and these are cars that, granted, you know, they're limited by their price points, but, like, the the 86 doesn't have to – is not compromised in any way in order to be a sports car, really. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't have quite as much fancy equipment as as other cars, but it's got power windows and keyless start and power brakes, power steering, GPS, uh, a, a stereo that works. It doesn't leak water. There, there are very few compromises in order to make a true sports car yeah. today. Um, and that is how progress works. People – Do not, would not put up with what they had to put up with, except, except as a virtue, the Ferrari Monza SP1 Mm -hmm. has no winch, you know, for 3 million bucks, you actually have to pay more. Right. You know, if you want if you want that level of sacrifice now, you got to pay more. BAC Mono, McLaren, Ariel Adam, the El- McLaren Elva, SLR Sterling Moss. If you want to have that type of experience, it actually costs more. Mm-hmm. There's there's a middle ground that won't put up with it, but the very focused. The fucking junkies, you know, the people that have had the craziest, fastest shit, they go, I now need the next – I even said this in my fucking review. I need that – I need the heroin now. The Coke isn't doing it anymore. I have done every car drug I can do. I am now shooting heroin. That's what the Elva is. What? Eight hundred horsepower, no windshield. Did that exist
1: in the 60s or were cars sure. like – where people are like, I need this Duesenberg because these new cars are too light or too comfortable or something.
0: Oh, I don't know. You know what I mean? No, because the idea of, of nostalgic for collectible cars, that, that came up in like the 80s. That wasn't a—they threw—they fucking threw GTOs into fields, you know? Well, I mean, in, yeah— In the decade those came out,
1: they were throwing them in the field. So, like, and then these days, if someone races a GT3 car and they don't win, I mean, it gets thrown away. And now the ones that win get kept because they've looked back and gone, well, those are worth
0: a lot of money. This might be worth a lot of money. but There were people that drove cars from the 20s and 30s in the 60s and Mm -hmm. 70s. And for a variety of reasons, history, collectability, their grandfather had it, whatever. But, and yeah, and there's people who were like— there was like uh, synchros, you know, four on the floor, right? You know, like, yeah, there's definitely those types of people. I don't have
1: to adjust my timing while I drive. This right, is too right, easy. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just funny the way the the definitions just change. Yeah, you know, the bar just moves. But
0: not. I don't think it's the the way that. Uh, I mean, the, I don't think people paid extra to have to have an experience like the '30s in the '60s, because in the '60s it was like. More fa- more speed, more luxury. Because the cars were still very analog. Part. Yeah. Nobody was looking for more analog from that level. Yeah. Right? There was no nostal- no loss of analog nostalgia in the 60s. It wasn't until right. everything was computer controlled that we started looking backwards for that level. Of- the only
1: thing you'd pay more money for in the 60s was just a more exotic car. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because the person if, – if you had – if your neighbor had a Camaro Z28, it had – a four-speed manual, but you could go out and buy a Jagu- an E-Type or a Ferrari. Well, now you have a manual transmission as well. But, like, they're both very analog. They just have very different brand representation.
0: Okay. Uh, Prashan says, in your last show, I feel you guys fundamentally misunderstand how military budgets work. Yes. I'm sure I do. <laughs> That's probably true. I work with people involved in military logistics, and the military is actively pushing hard to electrify because of Biden's executive order. Now, I think that's different from them wanting to electrify because they care about being green. I want to point that out. Prashant says Biden's executive order, not because the military actually cares about being green. Correct. That was what you said. These are different. Yeah. So unlike what you said, this is Prashant. Unlike what you said, the military is actually accountable to a shitload of people. Fine. Even if their budgets are bloated and most base vehicles drive very routine routes and spend a lot of time idling, making them perfect for electrification. Only a handful of charters need to be installed yeah. in key locations. That is what I thought, by the way. Now that's possibly true. If the if it's vehicles on established bases, sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was thinking about vehicles that are used out in the field in places like Iraq or or whatever where they would that would not be a practical solution. But sure, vehicles that just drive people around a base, okay, electrify those. The people that I know who I've talked to in the military, and I'm talking about active duty type of people, have described to me such a shockingly wasteful culture by policy, such as dumping jet fuel into the air rather than landing with some still in your tank, such as burn pits such as other stuff like that and while i'm sure that the military is accountable to a shitload of people it doesn't seem to be doing anything they're not reducing their budgets whatever that accountability is it has not resulted in us spending less money on the fucking military despite our appalling track record of failing at fucking wars since the 60s
1: well i think i think our statement on that came from the pentagon's repeated Failure of audits. That's yeah. like where that's where our statement was coming from. Like yeah. we don't speak to the naval director and go, do you do all of your accounting internally? Like in- internally, they might know all the numbers, but yeah. I guess what we were speaking on is that the Pentagon does not publish the numbers and ke- seems to fail these audits and not know where a lot of money goes. And we, it's been proven that parts that are sold here for X dollars are sold, you know, to the military for 400 X, right? Which seems like uh, cash grabbing a lot of times. So that's where we were coming from
0: yeah I mean what he's saying isn't wrong, but he's not necessarily countering what we were saying right yeah, yeah. he's making he's making slightly different points but you but and the point about using vehicles on base and electrifying those sure okay electrify like same as the postal trucks and and delivery vehicles and vehicles that drive the same route every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, electrify all that shit.
1: Yeah, a lot of airports are using more and more uh, electric vehicles yeah. for the tugs and the luggage things, sure. which makes tons of sense. Yeah, tons of fucking power over there. Those things drive
0: it. real short distances over and over. Yeah,
1: and need the torque.
0: Uh, uh, SG90 says, what are your favorite headlight and taillight designs? They don't have to be same manufacturer. Which but, is the... Uh, what are my favorite designs? Headlight and taillight designs. That's an awfully specific question, and I'm not prepared with an answer for it. Tell you what it's not. It's not pop-up he- pop-up headlights. Um, yeah, I'm not pro pop-up headlights either. What are my favorite designs? I don't know. I like the Tucker that had the center turning headlight. That was cool. That was fun. It's cool, but I think it looked weird. I that's like, just because it's very yeah, different. Weird, you yeah. know, it's
1: three lights in the front.
0: I like in Germany the laser headlights that where you can have your high beams on and it will selectively block out the oncoming car so it doesn't amazing. blind them. That When shit it's like
1: rules. the top 27% turns off but yeah. the bottom lasers still going. Yeah. That's just impressive.
0: I like the, the round – the, the taillights on the Ferrari 812 that look kind of like torpedoes. Oh right, they went back to the round ones. The, oh, round, the four GT lights are similar. Yeah, those are yeah. Sick. The Looks like oh.
1: fighter jet shit.
0: Yeah. Does air go through the middle of those? I think the exhaust goes through. No, wait, that's a different no, that's car. a different car. There's a car that has that. Yeah. I like what was that old car where the tail light it was maybe a it might have been a Bel Air or something of that period where you'd flip up the rear 56. tail light to fill to fill it with gas. Fifty six. That was kind air. of needlessly complicated. But oh yeah, so, but, but also, also super cool. Um. Delorean taillights for the time, very iconic. GTR taillights, four round ones, those mm-hmm. are just nice and simple. Those are like good. That. Yeah, the old Skyline ones,
1: um, cool. I like somehow with the E30, they made four round circles have a little attitude only cuz the hood curves it's down the eyebrow. just enough. It's, got the eyebrow. it's but it's not as much eyebrow as Jeep people. Yeah. It's subtle. Yeah. It's you know fo- it's mm-hmm. just that focus. Mhm. Um Oh, the 4GT it's a uh, heat extraction. It's not exhaust, but it's just like it's oh, a flow through. Oh, it's just a flow
0: through. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. cool. Uh, Benjamin says I own a 2013 FRS with 10k worth of mods including suspension, wheels, tires, exhaust and tune, making about 30 extra horsepower with 130,000 miles. Should I upgrade to the new generation of 86 or turbocharge my current 86? Uh, that's a that's a If it's your only car, I would get the new one. Right? I wouldn't I wouldn't want my only car to be a a 10-year-old FRS fully modded with a turbo on it. No. That's just me. It but,
1: seems like, risky. I I don't the, I don't know. I I was about to say it seems like it'd be unreliable and risky, but I don't want to speak out of school and have the forms go They'll go forever like this, but it just—it seems bold.
0: I drove an 86 with a Rotrex supercharger yeah. on it. it was like 8 PSI, that and that perfect. seemed pretty nice. It seems that like was, a
1: great amount of power.
0: That was a very good balance. I, I enjoyed it a lot. It was great to drive. But you're also talking about a money question here.
1: Yeah. Do you upgrade to the new one or turbocharge? Uh, Driving—you know what? turbo a new one if you can. Yeah. And, and if—because I think the new one with the new engine and all that stuff— might feel like yours does with this extra horsepower, but it'll have a lot of new tech and new comforts and things. So maybe you'll just like that enough. But if what you're seeking is a lot more speed or power, I think you could go different directions. Like just get a Camaro SS. Yeah. that An, L, an SS1 LE handles just as good as your FRS. It'll feel heavier, but it's great handling and it has way more horsepower.
0: Yeah, I mean, ten year old FRS is getting on there in year. I don't, I don't know what these things are like very long term. Me neither. And also, there's this, these issues with the brand new ones that you know. That seems might, very real. Yeah, it, it seems, seems like, like a, a thing. A that problem might lead me to not want to. You know, 130k. Your your other one's probably pretty good. Yeah, but you've made it
1: so far. Yeah. The other one, these new ones seem to have, uh, was it oiling issues on right-hand sweeper turns? Um, I don't know. Yeah. I would wait until they update that. Yeah. I think that story is still developing.
0: All right. Michael says, your East, uh, S63 uh, video was great. With that experience, what would each of you individually pick in that sedan-sizing class that balances luxury and performance for long-distance highway-driving they can comfortably fit two six-foot-tall boys in the back seat. Money no object. I mean, money no object. Bentley Flying Spur, or Mulsanne. Yeah. yeah. I haven't driven. Uh, or the new Phantom.
1: The new one. <laughs> I mean, the Mulsanne. Like it didn't have the cornering ability that the S63 had. Long Yeah, if you're just doing that, Mulsanne.
0: Or I mean, Oof. if you want cornering, Flying Spur. Or Flying at, or Spur an S8. Yeah, the Flying Spur though is. That's fire. That's very cool. But Mulsanne is what's up. That thing was so funny. Mm -hmm. There's a new Mulsanne. Uh, MR2D2. Good name. Uh, For my next watch, I would like a watch that makes a statement of taste and responsibility under $1,000. Durable enough for daily wear, but unique and memorable. Uh, Tissot PRX. Maine, Manhattan and Precista Bronze PRS30. Uh, I have never heard of two of the three of those. The Tissot PRX PowerMatic 80, 80 is a pretty solid watch for 1000 bucks. Pretty solid. I like it. Um, Tissot makes a, a decent watch. Uh, I've literally never heard of the other ones, and I don't—I um, could not speak to their durability for daily wear. I, I just don't know. Never heard of them um i would say you may want to wait for our notice watch you're asking questions you're obviously a pro driver the price point of this watch will be close to that and this watch is nicer than a Tissot. just saying in in terms of hardware and in terms of durability and all that kind of stuff this is a this watch has more capability so you may want to hang on for that um but of the three you've put there the Tissot is the only one i've heard of <clears throat> sean stewart says how do manufacturers decide when an influencer or youtube journalist has reached a status where they will get invited to major events like your recent european trips are there quantitative requirements or is it more of a case-by-case basis I have absolutely mm, no I'm idea sure. there is a there is a human it's not algorithmic right. there is a human whose job it is is to invite people
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so if you make a name for yourself you now you probably won't just be invited to Monaco on the first trip uh you'll probably be recognized locally and given press loans and mm-hmm. if you're smart you will figure out how to contact the PR people for manufacturers and tell them why you deserve a car and they'll get you one locally and then if you do right by them and by that I don't mean give them a positive review I mean if you say you're going to make four TikToks with the car you actually make four TikToks with the car I mean you don't break it or treat it like shit or whatever um but yeah, it's a person that that decides, yeah, I think there's
1: a lot of factors today. There's that some of it's your numbers, but then are you making content that they want to be associated with? Are you making content they think is fair? Um, is your reputation in the industry good? Uh, are you reliable, responsible person? Like there's – and that's why – like you said, that's why it goes through a human or a bunch of humans because they might go, well, this person has all these subscribers. And they go, yes, but we brought them on this thing and they actually didn't deliver what we wanted or it didn't actually do anything for our sales or name. And so they'll go with
0: somebody else. For Aston, I was on the influencer wave. I was not on a journalist wave. And there was a couple people um, who were very nice but who – all they did is Instagram. Mm -hmm. That's it like they did some they did like two or three instagram posts for the whole thing and that was enough to go they didn't have to review the car at all they didn't have to they didn't have to comment on it at all it was pure lifestyle i'm in monaco with aston martin look at this pretty car Mm -hmm. that was it and so um and a lot of Press launches for cars now, especially at the high end, will have an influencer wave just like that, yeah. where they don't expect you to really create any like meaningful content. You just like do the thing you do, which is in some cases is very basic. Um, Flannel Bob says uh, revisited some older one takes, and you wanted to hear me talk about the Honda N six hundred with the VFR motorbike engine on the podcast. Favorite video. Um, what a car. It was a crazy car. It was built by a guy named Dean Williams, who does not currently own it. Uh, it still lives in L.A. I've seen it around before. Yeah, it's a little lightweight um, Honda N600 with a motorcycle engine in it. It's a V a V4. Uh, it is rear-wheel drive. It has a so sequential bad. gearbox. It does not have reverse, or at least it didn't. Which you'd was pushing your foot.: Yeah, you Fred Flintstoned it backwards, yeah, what a car. though. Um, but it other than not having reverse, it was incredibly well built and finished and really well sorted, and it sounded insane. you know, it had an exhaust did. dump, so it had a regular muffled exhaust that sounded very good, but then you'd open the dump and it sounded like an F1 car. Uh, and it revved to like twelve thousand eight hundred RPM, and it was a you know a full sequential. It was a motorcycle gearbox, so it was fully fully sequential. And um, the fit and finish was really good. I drove another car that this guy Dean Williams built. He did a uh, a Volvo, a P eighteen hundred, with a uh, Cobalt SS engine in it, or something like that. The Chevy, the turbo Chevy motor. Oh, the Ecotech. Yeah, one, yeah. which was very nice. also a very nice car. This guy was a really good, for like a homebrew dude, like this guy was a great builder. Cool. Um, and yeah, st- I put I had a standing offer with the owner. If he ever wanted to sold it, to, to sell it, I said I would buy it. And um, if I did buy it, I'd want to put a small battery in the back uh, with an E-motor for reverse, just like have it on a button so you could reverse the car cuz not having reverse in a car sucks. Yeah. Um, but if you haven't seen this video, uh, go watch it because yeah, it the car insane. sounds amazing. It sounds insane and I had a I had an amazing time driving it. It was a really really cool car. It was like it was it was a very unique experience and I think one of only two cars that I've ever driven that I offered to to buy on the spot. Forget what the other one was now that I think about it. The other one I drove that I should have bought and didn't was the twin turbo Ferrari 348 from Tuned. Oh, yeah. Which I could have gotten for cheap. Because that got, was for sale? So, yeah. They, they, they hit you up soon after. The guy wanted out of it, and I yeah. could have bought it for, like, cheap, and I didn't, and I should have. It was a 348 Challenge with twin turbos by, built by Steve Maxwell. It was crazy fun.
1: I'm trying to remember what the other car was. That you, I don't remember yeah. what the
0: other one was that I offered to buy. Anyway. Um, oh, oh it, uh, oh, it was the E30 with the S54 motor in it. Oh, yeah. The and red it one. was fucking tits. Best BMW I've ever driven. Uh, Aaron says, have you ever driven a Toyota Sports 800? No, and I have no idea what that is. Um, what is the Toyota Sports 800? Oh, it's like a little two-seater. Oh, it looks like an even smaller uh, 2000 GT. How yeah. about that? It, it looks like they shrunk it long ways and, <laughs> and uh, made it narrower, but it's the I, same height. There's no way I'm fitting in that. I mean, no, I, just... I can't. I tried to fit. Oh, there's a 2000 GT in that photo right behind it. I tried to fit in a 2000 GT, and it was not happening. I wonder I if do this it.
1: was made to compete with the Opel GT. That's what it reminds me of.
0: Looks like it was made to compete with the Honda S600.
1: Or that. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a Toyota Cappuccino from. I don't, even know. I don't know if I've
0: ever even seen one of these. It's pretty rad, though. That's cool. If I saw one of the cars in coffee, I would be talking to you for a few. 700cc, it weighs 1,200 pounds. Oh, wow. It would go, this engine was sufficient. It had uh, 44
1: wait, wait. horsepower. 44
0: horsepower. Oh, man, It was that is very, very, very. Uh, oh, yeah, styling by uh, Tatsuo Hagasawa. Hasegawa, excuse me. That is the uh, same guy who did the 2000 GT. That's why it looks like it. Cool. Um, it looks neat. If I saw one at a at a Cars and Coffee, I would be uh, exceptionally excited. Yeah, it was it. to compete with the Honda S500, the Datsun 480. You know what I really like is that modern Honda S660, like the new one. I haven't seen the new one. They have, it's like they're building it now. It's like a K-Car Honda Roadster, and it looks rad. This little guy? Yeah. Our, our, our buddies uh, from automation in New Zealand, they had one. Doesn't that look cool? I bet that's a good time. I feel like it's part R8, part Honda Accord. Yeah. Part well, K-Car. styling wise, yeah. there's a lot going on there. Yeah. But just the fact that it exists makes me happy. Yeah. I bet it's a good time. Yeah. It takes up no space. Yeah. I'm into it. Right. Look at it's like there's like a fiesta next to it that looks huge. <laughs> <Does> the door <laughs> handles of the fiesta look like they're above the roof of this yeah. thing. <laughs> wow. Uh okay. Uh Daxa says, I'm the dumb girl who bragged about wanting a four-seat manual convertible for a road trip. Uh, one of them cheated on, was, on us, and so we turo a Miata. Uh-oh. Uh, it was the answer. And my question is, if you had your personal ideal two-car garage, what, what one would you cheat on them with? Wait, wait. So is the question is, we had a two-car garage. What would then be the third car that we would cheat on the cars with? I think so. Is that so. what that means? I think
1: that's the question, yeah. If I remember this question, uh, she asked us, they're doing like a, a three-person road trip in Vermont. And uh-huh. we were like, oh, rent a convertible 128i or yeah. something like that. And so it went from uh, three people on a trip to two. It oh. went Miata. They went Miata. So now I think, but I think you're right. If if we had a two-car garage, what would be the third wild card? The third
0: wild... Um, I mean, a, a th- th- my two cars are... A, a practical, everyday car, probably mm-hmm. electric, and then a – if I've only got two – and then a, a modern or semi-modern sports car that's yeah. fun but, like, reliable enough to deal with. So my third car from there is something Italian from the 80s where I don't need to rely on it for anything. So it could be the Countach. It could be the that's, – that's the third car for me. My third car
1: would be – unless I owned a Corvette, my third car would be something – 60s American, like cheap, cheap pro touring, like Zach's Mustang. Something I can beat the fuck out of mm. and just do burnouts in, and that's what I would do. That would be my, <laughs> my yeah.
0: red—we'd call it the red flag card, yeah. I think. Anthony Webb, if this question is about your actual life and not a hypothetical, uh, congratulations. Uh, you've had a big come-up, and your job requires you to be in three very different locations throughout the year. Seattle, New York City, and Munich. You need a car for each, and you have one hundred and fifty dollars to $200,000 per car. You will ne- You never know when you'll be in any of these cities, so the car should be four-season appropriate. If this is actually your life, wow. it's not bad. You're doing all right. I, I, I suspect it's a hypothetical, community. but, like, you know, good for you. Let's just say. If this is anyone's life, good for you, because that sounds kind of fun. So... First off, I would say for New York City, I would not buy a car. I would join the Manhattan Classic Car Club, and I would get their highest tier of membership, which gets you a lot of points to drive the cars in their fleet. And then you also have a social club attached to it and a restaurant, and a place to hang out mm-hmm. when you're in New York City. If I spent a third of the year in New York City, I would not want to deal with having a car in New York City for that amount of time. Because even if it was an expensive fucking car— You're probably talking a thousand dollars a month just to park it. The battery's
1: going to die, right? Because if you don't drive it for eight months,
0: yeah, it's going to be a battery's dead. But Manhattan Classic Car Club, you get their membership. They've got a fleet of interesting and cool cars. They maintain them. They keep them. You use them when you need a car. Yeah, and you don't even if you're in New York a third of the year, you don't need the car in New York for most of the year. So I would do that. Seattle, hundred and fifty to two hundred k. Per car uh, in Seattle. That's a lot of. That's a lot of money. That opens that's a, a lot. lot of doors. I would get a Macan GTS. That's under budget by quite a lot. Uh, I was going to say RS five, but that's also under that's budget also, by that's, a lot. That's under budget. One hundred fifty k is like a lot. How do we spend more money? <laughs> yeah, Targa uh, nine eleven Targa GTS, uh, and two we, two sets of wheels and tires. That's a good. That's a pretty cool car. I would probably do the same shit in Munich too. You, you could get an M3
1: like the one with X-Drive, and then you could pay fifty grand to have some of it rebodied.
0: Munich, you get the M3 Touring. Of course, right? Or yeah, that would be good. Or the E63 wagon. Or Munich MG Alpina wagon. is right there. You get the Alpina B8, mm, 175 grand. Fucking flying up the autobahn. That could be delightful. What is sold? in Europe that we can't I mean you could get the
1: Alpina A110 but that's too small that's too cheap for what this person's doing Maybe um, in Seattle
0: you get a Tycon GTS Sport Turismo or Cross Turismo cuz you could put yeah. you can then put the snow tires on there Tycon S uh, 4S Cross Turismo that would be delightful That'd be very good. Yeah that'll that'll get you right in the sweet spot there. And then in Munich I'd get the BMW M3 the Touring oh, the M3 or the Touring? Alpina Alpina's are pretty – you get mad respect in Germany if you drive Alpina.
1: I'd get M3 Touring because you want to go to the Nürburgring or you want to go do track days because you're there. So you can still haul ass on the freeway because you don't need super cushy suspension because the roads are good The roads are good in Germany. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a good answer. If that's your life, Anthony, good for you. Shout out to him. Thanks, patrons. Mm Mm-hmm. Appreciate your yeah. questions on this one. Uh, did you post the event for Henry Graybar yesterday, For yet, for tomorrow? Zach? No. Okay. Uh, live people, we are back uh, tomorrow, Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific with Henry Graybar. He is the author of uh, Paved Paradise, How Parking Explains the World. I fucking love this book. I thought this book was great. Um, it, it really helped me understand uh, a lot about our current – Crises uh, in terms of affordable housing, in terms of why um, uh, why sometimes some downtown areas are very depressed. Uh, hmm. It's like it turns out like building parking in downtown areas, such as downtown L.A., like drives people out. Interesting. It encourages people to not live downtown, uh, but rather to to come and go. Right. And it it takes up a lot of the. Uh, like store frontage, because even if you just put a parking lot there, you still need to have an entrance to that parking lot. And that's somewhere where a storefront could be. It's crazy. They also talk about he talks a lot about uh, metered parking versus free street parking, like the free street parking in New York City is like the biggest gift that the government could give to car owners at the expense of non-car owners. Like, there's no reason for street parking in New York City to, A, exist, but B, to be free. It's completely ass-backwards. And uh, there's a lot of interesting concepts to talk about. And also, in Los Angeles and a lot of other places, the design of every fucking building, every building, whether it's a house, an office, an apartment building, a hotel, you name it, is totally wrapped up in the parking. Totally wrapped This This building, the building that we're in, I have a personal experience with this. I built a goddamn parking lot, and the city made me build a parking lot for my parking lot. Mm I had to spend 50% more money to build an underground parking lot for my parking lot.
1: Well, that because we're, we're in a car-centric city, so they need, they, they need ways for people to go to the well, business? Well, because
0: there are minimums. We have parking minimums here in L.A., and one of the things he talks about in the book is in places where cities have abolished minimums and instead instituted maximums, they have seen vast improvements in urban areas. Interesting. And like all those apartment buildings that you see here, the, what's called the dingbat style of apartment building, which if you're not in LA, you're going, what the fuck am I talking about? But if you are in LA, it's where all the cars park underneath the overhang of and from the street, yeah. you just see this like overhang in cars. Yeah. The first floor is a carport. Right. Yeah. Like that whole entire thing, like that is defined by parking per unit and parking per square foot requirements. And those apartments are typically in much lower demand than apartments that were built in areas like Santa Monica and Hollywood and West Hollywood where where they were built before those requirements because the buildings are much more attractive. And you could not build those buildings today. Right. It's also why you can't build a lot of low income housing today because building parking is crazy expensive and if you build and they have minimums so even if you try to build low income housing the requirements of the parking drive the cost of construction and design up so much that the part the apartments then have to become more expensive but no one is going to pay that money for a basic apartment so they add amenities like the pools and the gyms and all this shit and then they make it luxury apartments mm-hmm. to justify the higher rent when the whole reason the rent was so high in the first place was because we had to build those fucking parking. But is that to help like if, if someone just
1: is it because we're in a car centric city so if people built a 20 unit apartment building with no parking let's yeah. just go extreme right. then you are only you're obviously only catering to a market of people that don't have a car don't right, need a car. which many so. low
0: income people don't. Hmm. <laughs> if you're building low income housing a lot of low income people don't have a car and we're going to talk about this tomorrow it's not like you're screwing people who do have cars. They will have other places to live. But by forcing parking in all apartment buildings, you're making people who don't have cars subsidize the people who do have cars. Mm. And it's like, it's like how if you improve public transit, the commutes for people who like to drive get better. Right. Because you don't have to force people off the highway. You just have to give them an option that works better, and some people will take it, reducing traffic for everybody else. Same thing. If you build low-income apartment buildings without parking on site, there are enough people who would happily pay 3 or 400 dollars a month less in in rent, and the reason it's so it's cheaper is specifically because the developer didn't have to build a fucking parking lot. And you didn't have a car anyway. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah. So there's there's a lot in this book about that, and I can't wait to talk to the author about it. Cool. Because it defines, like, the city. It defines the suburbs. It defines the single-family home, the multifamily home, the low-income apartment, the high-income apartment. Like, and it's not – Parking isn't like the natural order of things. It's like specifically planned out by people who have made conscious choices that are in many cases like not good for us. Hmm. So okay. as like the owner of a parking lot and a car enthusiast who also considers himself at a, pro- a progressive, I'm at a weird intersection of interests in this book. Hmm. So it's kind of funny. Anyway, tomorrow at 11 o'clock. Uh, Henry Graybar, author of Paved Paradise will be on the podcast and we'll see you all then. Bye.